30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. The story of the day the NBA shut down and the pandemic became real for many Americans is told by those who lived the events of that day and built entirely with archival and exclusive interviews, including interviews with Rudy Gobert and Dr. Anthony Fauci. 30 for 30 podcast presents March 11th, 2020. Subscribe and listen now wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast taped on a Monday afternoon on the East Coast, All-Star is over. was kind of fun to watch. Big fan of the All-Star TV experience. Not sure what it was like to live All-Star this year as I did not attend in Atlanta and had no plans to. But with All-Star done, time to preview the second half of this crazy NBA season. No one I would rather do that with, go through the big questions about the NBA, than the head of The Ringer, the host of the Bill Simmons podcast. Bill Simmons, how are you? Great intro. Nailed it. One take. Yeah, we've been doing home and homes for a while, and then this year the NBA stole from us and they incorporated it into their schedule. But I feel like we've been doing home and homes for years now. I love it. It's a nice way to see. Like, I, I, I came right from the jump to do this, so I'm in my jump clothes, which brings back memories of this happened a couple of times in L.A. I would get in an Uber, go to your studios in, in I don't know where, Hollywood? where I don't even know where the hell your studios are. Yeah. Somewhere. And record, but it was great. Um, well, even before that, when we when you did a couple of Grantland basketball hours, when I had to like threaten your life, force it, you to go on TV. Remember those days? I literally had to force you to go on television. You were so against it. I was against it. I was naive and ner- I was nervous. I was nervous. I thought I would bomb. I no. do. I still kind of think I bomb. Nah. I don't know why they put me on, but it's fine. It was great. I I think the last or second to last one we ever did was we did the twenty five. Didn't we do the twenty five most intriguing people? of like the 2015 playoffs or some gimmick like that. And it was fun. And we finished it and you were, and you were kind of, I could see you had the bug. I could see the glint in your eye after you were like, Oh, I can do this. And all these years later, I am still insecure and neurotic and, uh, and all of that. So let's go through. I have, yeah. I think I have seven big questions for the second half of the NBA season. Knowing us, we will get to three of them, but that's fine because we'll bounce around and we'll get to a lot of stuff. Are you ready for the first big question? For the second yes. half of the NBA season. I'm ready. Okay. So to avoid uh, Utah fans whining about being overlooked and undercovered, despite just having three all-stars in the all-star game, I want to start with Utah. They've earned it. They have the best record in the league, the best point differential in the league. 27-9. and nine. Little mini slump right before the all-star break. I don't know. A little lost three or four. Had been blowing the doors off of everyone before that. So here's question number one. Bill Simmons, do you believe... In the Utah Jazz. And I, by that, I mean, do you believe this is a real championship contender that seven games against the Lakers, seven games against the Clippers, the Bucks, the Nets, whoever you think of as the best team in the NBA, Utah can go toe-to-toe with those teams. At the very least, they can drag it out six, seven games, and it's a dogfight. Good question. I believe in them a little bit less as a contender than I do in the fact that this is a super weird season. And I have somewhere between nine or 11 teams penciled in as being a 2020 heat possibility. (laughs) So from that standpoint, I just feel like everybody has to be taken seriously. It's been such a weird year with them. I think the red flags, so they're 27 and nine. They're only two games in the loss column better than Phoenix. So it's, it's not like, it's not like they've been the, uh, you know, the 2016 warriors or anything like that. It's um, the blowouts, though. It's the blowouts. I get like it. They, I get yeah. it. Um, but the other thing is, I think with this season, especially, and LeBron mentioned it when he did his press conference this weekend, you know, 
just having healthy guys that are playing together week after week is such an advantage this year. They were one of the only teams that had that. You know, they did not have a lot of like the COVID stuff. They didn't have injuries. They just had eight guys who play eight and a half who play really well together. And I've just learned not to trust the regular season in the way that we trust in years past. That maybe is it coach bud fatigue, maybe too many being burned by coach bud teams where we get carried away with this. And whether it's those Hawks teams in the mid two thousands or it's the bucks, the last two years, or it's the 2013 Knicks. We just kind of get too excited oh, about the regular season. You just season. compared these Jazz to the 2013 I Knicks. Go back and think about February, March range when the Knicks were making like 13, 14 threes a game. And everybody was like, whoa, what's this? And, you know, sometimes you peak early. So I think they have a really good team. I had Jackie on my podcast last week, and I said that the path for them would be the 2014 Spurs path, where it's like I they don't have the true superstar. They move the ball really well. They can defend. They have kind of an eclectic team of, of guys from different backgrounds who just play really well together, and the ball moves, and that would be the path. You have just invoked the two teams that are most often coming up in discussions about the Jazz, and to me, neither of them fits, but I want to ask you which one you think fits. So the Spurs, when you invoke the 2014 Spurs, I know. It's holy ground for you. It's, it's just, I get it. It's too much. I can't, Not you personally. I just... I can't, I feel like people just forget already how amazing that team was. And yeah, Tim Duncan was old, but he's still Tim Duncan, a top 10 player in the history of the universe. Uh, Kawhi is an ingredient that the Jazz don't have in terms of a defensive stopper at that level. And just, I don't, I get the comparison. I just think that we've already forgotten seven years later how amazing that team was and the degree to which they just threw the ball around every they just ran circles around everyone that was a team that got taken to seven by dallas by the 2014 mavs who was that monte was on that team that year it was just this weird weird hodgepodge vince mavs carter team. buzzer beater in that series yeah, yeah yeah so it was like even as it was happening we weren't really believing the spurs i remember going on tv during the finals and being like i i think miami's in real trouble here and everyone just assumed miami was going to come back and, and san antonio was just killing them I guess the model, the model for me there is just the they don't have like the go-to awesome crazy score. Mitchell's I think better than offensively than anyone was on that Spurs team. I think their highest score that year was like 17 points a game, Parker, for the Spurs. So that would be the one difference. But I just that's the model to me where there's no great team, and all of a sudden it's just like, hey, who plays the best? That team's going to actually win the title. The Hawks comparison has come up a lot. In terms of regular season feel-good story, team play, isn't it cute? They pass, and we know in the back of our minds, they're going to run into LeBron. LeBron's going to steamroll them, and we're going to be like, why did we spill all this ink extolling the virtues of the beautiful game? I reject that comparison on two levels. I just don't think that Hawks team, that's the T. Remember they got the five-guy player of the month award that one month? It was five... Teague, Carroll, Horford, Millsap, Corver, they didn't have a one-on-one -on -one guy like Donovan Mitchell. They did not have a get-your-own-perimeter player at his level. You and I can quibble about, is Donovan Mitchell a little overrated? Is he less efficient than people give him credit for? Maybe, maybe, maybe. But the Hawks didn't have anyone like that. And they didn't have a defensive player like Gobert. Now, Horford and Millsap were unbelievable, and they were mobile, and they would trap people out on the perimeter, but they didn't have someone 
you even saw it in the All-Star game a little bit. Like, people are scared of Gobert when they get yeah. in the lane. They're scared of him. And so I think this is a different team that is distinct from either of those archetypes. And to answer my question, I buy them. Only to this level. I don't think they get rolled by the Lakers and the Clippers. Now, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't, but I, I think they can go toe-to-toe with those teams for exactly the reason you said. This is a weird season, and I think they've gotten better. Like, if you're going to win as a team, right? If you're going to win with, like, chemistry and eight guys passing and cutting and all this, you've got to get, like, to the apex of that style. That's why the Spurs comparison comes in. They're distinct from those Spurs, but I think if they were a B- minus at that style last year, they're an A at it now. The chemistry is just better. Bogdanovich is here. Clarkson's got another year uh, under his belt with the Jazz. Niang is settled into his rotation. Favors is back, and they gives them a little more. Like, they can play Favors and Gobert against the Lakers if they need to. I just think Conley's healthy and, and playing great. I, I just think they're all better playing that style, that they're playing it at an A level. And I think if they play it at the A level, yeah, they don't have a, a, a Kawhi to guard Kawhi. They don't have a Kawhi to guard LeBron. Like Royce O'Neal is their answer to that question. It's not a great answer. It's an okay answer. Um, and Gobert will have to guard Anthony Davis if those teams ever come, come across each other. That can be uncomfortable. I get all of the sort of individually, they will, be, they will not have the best player against the Lakers or the Clippers or the Nuggets. Or maybe the Suns, I don't know. But I think collectively they can make up for that. So I, I buy them, not as favorites though. They're not the favorites. But I buy them as they can give the Lakers and the Clippers tough seven-game series. And by the way, Clippers still got to prove it. And the Lakers are a, uh, a Anthony Davis buzzer shot from maybe being in a series against the Nuggets. Like I think the Lakers are really, really good. But I don't think they're this unbeatable juggernaut. The Jazz are 27 and 9. That projects to what? 59 and 23, 16 and 22. It's a weird year. But they're not, I don't think they're running away with the season. The fact that they had this hiccup last week, right as people were starting to wonder if they were the best team in the league, I think is concerning. That, to me, it's something you mentioned earlier um, when you talked about Mitchell versus the best part on the other team. I thought that Philly game was really illuminating. First of all, it was a great game. I really enjoyed it. But and Embiid made a crazy shot to send it in overtime, but that was why just, can we just pause for a second? That shot insane. We need to sometimes we just need to pause in in the world and just what he did on that step. It wasn't even a step back three. It was like how would you describe it? I don't even know how to describe it. It was a mid eighties Larry Bird. You know I'm shooting this. I know I'm shooting this. I'm going to take two step backs and do it anyway. The difference is he's seven foot three, and it it was. It was jaw-dropping enough that on the next day on my pod, I had House come on just because I think Embiid was the first half MVP, and I'll, I'll fight anyone who doesn't agree with that. The, the, the wrinkle a couple times this year where when he kind of has to get a shot off and he has 25-foot range, but the ability to also shoot over whoever's guarding him, I just haven't specifically ever seen that in my life. That seems like, like a relevant point, right, where you're down three, Let's throw it to the seven foot three guy who can make an off balance three, and he's actually might make it. Like, what would you have done in two thousand three if Shaq just dribbled into a step back three? I think, that, <laughs> like, I think I would have just gone to the hospital. Like, I would have gone to the ER immediately. Wait, it's even more unrealistic than Shaq. It's like if Rick Smiths could have done it, <laughs> or or Yao Ming. Like, he's a legit seven three. So anyway, with that Utah Philly game. 
I just felt like Philly was going to win because they had Embiid and he was the best player on the floor. Now, granted, they could have lost 10 times, but I can't get over that hump with them. And it's not dissimilar to where we were with Miami last year. When Miami, in that Boston series, it was like, well, Boston's going to win, right? They have more talent. And then they were able to eke that out and they did it. And then they get to the Lakers series, like, ah, Lakers are going to sweep. And then all of a sudden we're going six games. But ultimately... I still feel like it's a league where you need the best player in the series to keep winning the series. And there's been very few exceptions, which is why I go back to the 2014 Spurs. They did not have the best player in that series, but the totality of their team was so much better than that breaking down 2014 Miami team that they kind of swung the seesaw. So that would be the case for them. That's where I can at least... I, I'm not comfortable with that comparison, but I can at least get it at the idea behind it, which is I, I do believe they've reached the apex of their collective... Style. So the questions everyone has is, well, how are they going to get a bucket when people start switching everything in the playoffs, right? All this fancy movement. What happens when you just bog it down? And that's why Mitchell, the answer is A, Mitchell gives them at least a fighting chance. And B, it's going to be, they've reached a point where it's going to be harder than just switch everything and the machine bogs down. The machine is operating at a different level. The other flip side is, are they going to have someone on the floor at all times that LeBron and Kawhi can target when the Jazz are on defense. And I and and we've seen teams go at Bogdanovich at the end of games over and over again with a lot of success. So you take him off the floor fine. My their best defensive lineup is probably Conley. Their best defensive realistic lineup, like excluding the Favors Gobert duo, is probably Conley, Mitchell, Ingles, O'Neal, Gobert. And I think in that group, Conley is the guy who's got to fight for his life against the LeBron. And a Kawhi, that, but that lineup, by the way, in 46 minutes is plus 34, which is like bonkers. Jesus. Um, well, but it, you also, you left out Clarkson in that lineup, and he, you could argue, is their most creative offensive player. I, I He's been fantastic this year. Um, I had him so on they're the in like a they're in like a weird Lou Williams type Clipper situation with him where. We're going to get to the I, Clippers. Yeah, I'm not sure I can count on him in a playoff series yet for a variety of reasons. But you also feel indebted for everything he did to bring you to the point you're at. And then all of a sudden he's out there with three minutes left. And you're like, wait a second. You're, Jordan Clarkson is just going to finish crunch time? You, he's trying to guard Jamal Murray right now. What are you doing? These are all great segues into my next big question. One last thing on Utah. I do think that it's in the, it's, it's in the realm of possibility that we are going to see them run away with the number one seed. Because they have the easiest schedule in the West by a large margin in the second half of the season. So... You know, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with any of these teams and the virus and all that. But I think they're well positioned to lock up that number one seed. Their their dream scenario, by the way, is they get number one. Lakers, Clippers go two, three, so you can get all the way to the conference finals without playing the LA teams. There is an interloper threatening that dream scenario, and that's the Phoenix Suns at twenty four and eleven, second in the West, top ten in both offense and defense, sixteen and three in their last nineteen games. Question number two. And we're going to stay in the West. Big question number two. Bill Simmons, who is the bigger threat to topple the Utah LA times two group at the top of the West in the playoffs? Phoenix or Denver? Oh, Phoenix or Denver. All right. Can I do a, a or caveat? Neither. Or neither. Can I do a caveat for my answer? Sure. The Denver we see right now, I'm not positive is the Denver we're going to have a month from now. So for me, the ceiling with Denver is moving, whereas Phoenix, 
I think is is I don't see a lot of movement with them. I don't really feel like they have a lot of moves to make. They already made their move. They got Chris Paul. Utah, same thing. They're, there's no trade they're going to make. There's no buyout guy going to Utah, I don't think. Denver has a trade to make. And maybe that was a later question for you, but can we merge no. those two questions? Yes. What's I just think, trade? I think Denver has a trade to make. They Russell and I talked about this last time on my pod. It was just they have the Gary Harris contract, which get them $20 million. They have Hampton. They have Bull Bull. They have Picks. Like they can go out and get somebody in the mid twenties, and if Toronto ends up having the Kyle Lowry sweepstakes, that's the perfect Kyle Lowry team to me. Like, you you could have a fantasy draft of who would be the perfect third guy in the Nuggets for the playoffs this year, and Kyle Lowry might be the number one pick for all all things considered for what you would want from that team, um, and the way how he changes the the character and the mentality and the doggedness of your team, and just how annoying he is playoff series to playoff series. To me, like if they could get somebody like that without losing any of their core guys, I'd have to increase the ceiling. I do now, think I, I think I broke your brain. Are you all right? No, no, I do, I do think Denver is a good candidate to look pretty aggressively at trades because by record they have underperformed this season. They're watching Jeremy Grant kick ass in Detroit. And and Beasley it, who's you know, they traded mid-season last year, but that dude that dude's out almost at 20 points a game on a bad team, but still, he puts up points. And we can talk about trade candidates, but Denver's, Denver is... Uh, my pick to this... My answer to this question is Denver, even if they stand pat. Um, because I just trust that Murray-Jokic duo that I much. don't like their bench at all. Well, their bench is thin right now. Thin? Thin right now. But they're missing Jermichael Green, Paul Millsap. Gary Harris has missed a lot of time. Jermichael Green? Are you really giving that to me? You trust Jermichael Green in a playoff series? Did you watch last year's playoffs? An, as an eighth guy? Yeah, I do. I'm out on Jermichael Green. Hey, my verdict came in on him last year in the playoffs. Well, my answer Paul, is, Mil- Paul Millsap's 35. They need, they need more good guys that I trust in a playoff and, series. And I they think don't have they, it yet. I think they know, and I think they're going to look around. The question is, is who? Uh, Beal... Look, no it's way. March. It's March eighth. I don't see it. I, I, the intel remains what it's always been, which is that it doesn't look likely this season. I don't think Denver has the goods to get him unless Michael Porter Jr. is in the deal. Anyway, Porter Porter has to be in that trade, and I don't think they're trading Porter. So who? There you and, go. And, and then we can we can talk about other names. Lowry. Can I give I, you some names? Well, I th- I think Lowry. If if and when, if if Toronto and Lowry get to that moment. I don't think Denver is going to be the place because I think he's going to dictate with this with some leeway where he wants to go. You mean to Miami? Me, I, you think Miami? I think Philly is is the most obvious one. I just don't think Tyrone Maxey and a semi lousy pick is a better offer than what Denver could come up with without Porter. Even if they, I think Denver could get more. What's creative. the Miami offer that's better than that for? Better than Tyrese Maxey and two picks. What's the Miami well, offer? The, is Miami putting Hero in that trade when they like quibbled about, not quibbled, but when they debated about whether they should do it for Harden? Miami has to put Hero in the trade, and I don't think they would, and I wouldn't if I were them. Me neither. And I don't think they have enough otherwise with their picks. So I actually think Miami is, he might say, send me to Miami, heat culture, but it's. I just don't think they have the goods. Philly it just doesn't feel like enough. You know, and the other thing with Masai that we have to mention, 
I hate when people on podcasts call GMs by their first names, but I just did it. Um, he's also an out of the box. Like there could be some trade we don't even see where it's like Kyle Lowry. Like to me, 10 teams are on the table with him. I just don't, I don't trust Masai not to uh, be conventional. Um, but yeah, so for Denver, Lowry was one. I think Buddy Heald's another one that would really help Ooh, them. That's a nice name. I think Harrison Barnes would really help them. Sacramento, and, uh, Sacramento needs to throw up the white flag now and start coming to grips with reality because, you know, one of my other sub questions for this podcast, which we can just sort of address now, was is are we just like sneakily done with the Western Conference? Like, are the top 10 set in stone? There's a five game gap between 10, which is Memphis, and 11, which is New Orleans, and everyone underneath New Orleans kind of stinks, including the Kings. And I think the Kings. I think Barnes will have a lot of interest. And if they put Buddy Heald out there, he's not having a great season, not shooting the ball very well. But that's an interesting name. I didn't think about that one for Denver. Well, you make a key point. You could separate the West into three five-team categories, right? Lakers, Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Denver. Then it goes to Portland, Dallas, Golden State, Memphis, San Antonio. And then we go to New Orleans, Sacramento, OKC, Houston, Minnesota. Throw away the last three. They don't care. Sacramento is delusional enough to think they're probably still not out of it, but they should be going the other way. And then New Orleans just has to be looking at this going, what the, what the hell are we? We can hang with any team night tonight, and we embarrass ourselves over and over again on national television with weird rotations, um, very strange offensive decisions down the stretch, guys who look like they just don't want to try some nights. Like, they're a 15 and 21 team that actually feels like they should be like 10 and 25. So the fact that they're in striking distance and they have Zion who, I don't know, he's shooting 60% and gets to the free throw line, whatever he wants. At some point you feel like you could go on like a 10 game winning streak with that, but it just does. They just seem like a mess. So well, I think well, you're right. I think there are 10 teams. That's it. Well, and interestingly, I think Lonzo is a, is an interesting name for Denver. Um, he's, oh. he's now kind of an off guard, right? He's not really a point guard anymore. He would fit with Murray and Jokic and the intel on what the Pelicans are going to do with Lonzo, who's hitting restricted free agency is all over the place. A month ago, he was allegedly the most, the most available sort of good player in the NBA that's quieted now, um, because he's shooting 40% from three and looks really good. I don't, I don't know that they're going to get blown away by an offer. And if they don't get blown away by an offer, you know, they can roll the dice in free agency. I think there's some fear there that there's just so much cap space and not enough talent that some team, even teams that don't, it's hard to find a team that just would urgently love to get Lonzo Ball in free agency. But some team would just be like, hey, you know what? We got money. He's young. Let's do it. I think they're a little scared of that. But that would be an interesting name for Denver. It's, but but it's I the don't most know what loaded, they're doing. It's the most loaded position in free agency. Everybody has guards. Right. So you could be like, oh, Lonzo, why? We watch out for him in free agency. But then just go through the teams and tell me who's dying to spend $27 million on this hybrid guard who we haven't totally figured out what he is. I think he's been really good this year. And by really good, like not all star good, but um, I like him on that team. And if I, you're not going to like this. I, I always get excited when you preface trades like this. Yeah. You're just not going to like this. I, I introduced this theory last night to Rosillo. It was late. I was a little punchy, but I kind of feel good about it. I just feel like if you're in New Orleans, you've got to really start thinking about the Brandon Ingram thing now. 
You just have to think about it now. He's not going to be the best guy in that team ever. It's Zion's team. I hate to do the 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 hot take. Um, coming up next, Bill Simmons tells you why New Orleans is Zion's team. I'm not doing that. I just watch New Orleans games, and it's incredible to me when there's five minutes left and Ingram takes like six of the next seven shots, and Zion is like this you know ornament hanging on a Christmas tree over on the side. And it's like every time you give the ball to Zion, he either scores or gets fouled. What are you doing? What's the purpose of this team? So I, I don't feel like Ingram fully understands that. I know this hits close to home. You wrote the big feature about Ingram how many months ago. But even about- in that piece, I said they want him to be – their dream is that he becomes the Pippen to Zion's Jordan. Not that those players are going to reach that level. I mean, it's not that that part of the comparison is not apt. But they know. I mean, that's over. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe they have to have a come-to-Jesus crunch time reorganization of their offense. But in general – they know it's Zion. It's Zion's team. It's Zion's offense. He's well, the best player on the team. It's Zion's team. One, two. Does Ingram fit with Zion? I watch a lot of Pelicans. I really enjoy watching Zion. If he's on, I'm. I'm. And he's in the game, and it's a close game. I'm going to probably watch. I just don't think they make sense together. Ingram. I'm still not sure what position he is. I guess he's a four, but defensively, he's just not good. He's a three. And Ingram's a three. I think all right, he's, he's just a, a three. three. Fine. So then Zion's a four, but then. That means you need a center, but we've seen what happens when they play a center. Then they're just too big and clumsy. They can't guard anybody. And I just would rather have a different – I'd rather have, like, you know, a typical 3 and D guy as my three and not the Ingram guy who is a scorer who kind of feels like it's his team. That's the feeling I get when I watch it. Is Josh Hart a 3 and D guy? Can we count Josh, Josh Hart? Josh Hart. What's your team? I used to have the the guys I inexplicably love. What's your team at the end of the year you do? My Luke Walton Luke Wal- All-Stars. Yeah. It, the Josh Hart Bruce Brown blood oh. match for the for the number 1 MVP spot of that team is going to be epic. It's, no, it's, it's over. It's Bruce Brown. It, the, I, what's what's happening fair. in Brooklyn is so improbable and ridiculous <laughs> All right, that fair. like that it has to be Bruce Brown. But Josh Hart will have these games where he's becomes Dennis Rodman. Yeah. And you're like, what's going on? You're the 6'3 random guard, and you're jumping over seven-footers for rebounds. Anyway, I I just feel like if I'm New Orleans, why do I want to wait till the summer to start thinking about this when I have all these other moving pieces in play? And I think Lonzo and Zion make sense together. I like Lonzo. I like him as a hybrid guy who doesn't necessarily need the ball all the time. And I think he plays well with, with Zion. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Let me take you back to Denver. Yeah, please do. Can I make my case for why I still have faith in Denver? Yeah. 
they have Jokic on their team. He's he's incredible. Well, they're 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 twenty one and fifteen, but they're plus five point three points per game, which is basically tied with the Lakers and the Clippers. They're outperforming their record. They entered the All Star break starting to roll a little bit despite all those injuries. Um, Porter started to sort of get into his role on offense. Jamal Murray is over his icy cold start and is now back to being volcanic Jamal Murray. And it just feels like they're percolating there. And when they, like Barton has been hit or miss, but has been like slightly more hit than he was early in the season. Gary Harris will come back. I know Gary Harris still doesn't make shots, but he helps their team. He helps the integrity of their defense. He fills out their, their depth. I just feel like Denver is a regular season team is about to get on a roll. And in the playoffs, I still trust their two best players like a lot. Um, And I just like their team. Now, I think it's like, I was, I said that I didn't think they were going to miss Jeremy Grant that much. I was super high on the Nuggets coming into this season. I think I got to take an L on that. And I think they got to take an L. You don't want to pay him $20 million though. All right. So here's the counter argument. You're paying Paul Millsap and Jamichael Green 17 and a half combined. Oof. Would you rather have just have Jeremy Grant? And so then you have like Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter. Uh, Jonathan Sharks wrote about this for the Ringer last week that Porter's been thriving in part because he's playing the four right now. With Grant, you can kind of keep Michael Porter functionally as a four. They're positionally kind of equivalent. With Millsap and Jermichael Green, you can't. Like they're, the lineup constrictions are what they are. Um, now you can play those guys at five here and there, but not with Jokic on the team. Um, I... I I, I think they're missing Grant more than I thought they would. And that's just leave aside how well he scored. Just the lineup flexibility he would bring for them. So I agree with you. I think they're going to try to do something at the deadline. Um, I just can't think of a great... Like, does Evan Fournier light your world on fire at all? Does that do anything for you? So I want the Celtics to get Barnes. Well, I was going to ask you about Harrison I Barnes really, I really... So just, just go for it now. Yeah, I just think he's played really well this year. Uh, and I think he's one of those guys, you feel like he's 35, he's only 28, he's been in a lot of big games over his career, he is, you know, you hear this and you never know what to believe, but I think by all accounts, he's one of those Kemba Walker type guys, right? He's just like a great guy. People love Harrison Barnes. Um, I think he knows who he is as a basketball player at this point. He's He can make open threes, he can actually get to the basket when he needs to, he knows where to go and what to do on defense, and for the Celtics, he would really help them because you're talking about 25 to 30 minutes a game that are going to Semi Ojale and Javante Green and all these dudes. And now to have Barnes be able to – so you would always have two of Tatum, Brown, and Barnes, and then potentially all three. He could play with them. He can switch on D. He's not a great defender, but he's not a disaster. I think he would really help Denver. And so if you're just going crunch oh. time and it's – that Denver's my fear with the Celtics where – I feel like they could step in on Barnes maybe with a slightly better offer, you know, because unfortunately for the Celtics, like, I don't know if their young guys have a lot of value. Like if you're shopping Romeo Langford, it's like, Hey, here's this one game when he was healthy a year, a year and a half ago. <laughs> Look how good he looked. Uh, Neesmith I, hasn't shown one thing. And then they have a bunch of picks that ultimately aren't really going to matter. They have the trade exception. So their one advantage would be, Hey, we, we can, we don't have to stick you with a bad salary, but if you're Denver, you know, and you're Sacramento and you could get Gary Harris back and try to re rehabilitate that you could get uh Bulbo and Hampton 
and then maybe some conditional pick, something like that. I, I just feel like that's a nice move for them. But I said last night to Rosilla, I would if I'm Sacramento, I'd rather trade Buddy Hill than keep Barnes. Because I would rather just build around Fox and Halliburton. I think Buddy Hill kind of ruins that. I think Barnes is going to draw a lot of interest. I did not think about Denver for him. That's not that's not a, a bad name. For Boston, I think it's a great fit. I mean, they, they know they need another 3-4 type. Um, the only question is price, right? Like, um, I think it takes more than just a young guy. I think it takes a young guy plus a first-round pick. Plus, then you got to throw out salary, and you have to have an uncomfortable conversation with ownership of, like, are we willing to go into the tax? If if not— They're at 131 to, next year without yeah. Harrison Burns. Right. It was just, do we need tax this year, next year? How can we duck the tax? Are you willing to give up Neesmith and a uh, top 10 protected first or something for Harrison Barnes? Is, is he that good? Now, what happens when Marcus Smart comes back? Because then you have Walker, Smart, Tatum, Brown— you can't pl- can you play Barnes at the five with those guys or do you know that sort of artificially limits how many minutes everybody can play? But I agree with you. He would really help their team. It's I, he's overqualified to be like a six man, right? And he's a little underqualified to be the third best guy in a championship team. He's somewhere between those. If he's your fourth best guy, perfect. So for Denver, you know, think about them in crunch time, right? Jokic, Porter, Barnes. Murray, and then who would you have as the fifth? The, Barton. Is he still yeah, on Barton. The team? Sure. Maybe maybe there's a second. Whoever trend, of but, Barton and Harris is. Still. But I just know at least I have four guys now I can trust in the last five minutes of a game. And Rosello made the point last night that Barnes takes too big of a hit for the 2016 finals. I I think that's become part of it's his a long legacy. Time ago. It was a long time ago, ago, but it always gets mentioned. But that guy was in a lot of playoff games. He was part of a 73-win team. That team was 140 and 24 in two straight years. I don't know. I think for his salary, 222.2. The other one who's interesting for Denver, we didn't talk about him yet, is Oladipo, who I think you could get for nothing. Well, that's so here are are some names that are interesting just trade-wise, period. Um, Oladipo, obvious, right? I think Houston is going to have to decide, do we want to pay this guy? If no, then trade. he just, for the season, is now shooting 39%, 31% from deep. He looked good on Indiana. On Before it, they traded him, he was having moments on Indiana. That's what's like. so weird. With the Pacers, he kind of looked like, okay, he's kind of getting back to what he was pre-injury. Maybe yeah. Houston is just, Houston is the most random, tossed-together team that I can remember in the last five or six years of the NBA. So maybe it's just so... Everyone's like, wait, that guy's on the. Oh, I forgot. I forgot that guy's name. What, what is he? Is he right-handed or left-handed? I don't even know. Like, maybe it's just so screwed up that it's hard for him. But well, hold on. With Houston, we have to mention this. This is like the weirdest trade deadline wrinkle I think in a while. So they have their pick, top four protected. Anything below that, they get completely screwed. Then it becomes this. Miami, OKC, Houston, they just get the worst pick out of yeah, those three I need, teams. I need like the Sopranos That's like, it. FBI flowchart of how that pick works. because It breaks my brain every time I try to talk about it. Yeah, that's it. Top four, they keep it. Anything below that, it's the worst of those three between Miami, OKC, and, and Houston. Then so you figure Miami swapped, is the best. Swapped all over the place. Yeah, um, so let's say Miami's 21st, Houston's 5th, and OKC's 7th. So... OKC would move up to fifth. I think Miami would get seventh, and then Houston would drop all the way down to 21. So, and the part I don't understand, and this is where it gets into brain break territory, 
can Miami trade the rights to that swap pick? I don't think they can. I think there's like weird. Yeah, that's when it gets the brain break. Attempting to answer the question. But Um, here's the thing: if you're Houston, it's not like the old days where you could be like, "All right, well, we'll just have the worst record in the league, and then there's no way we won't get that top four protected." Now it's like they changed the lottery. You could try to get a top four protected pick for yourself and end up getting the seventh pick because they changed the odds. So I think that's an amazing subplot for them where they have they lost Harden. They're now officially tanking. They're going to trade Oladipo to make themselves even worse. And they, it still might not work. They still might lose the pick. Oladipo is a tough one. That, it, it might be a stay away for me if there are real like picks and young players going to Houston. I just, I just don't what know. What about Gar- just Gary Harris and Hampton? That's it. How about that? I would do that. That's I think no, I would do that too if no I'm brainer, Houston. But, but Houston's got a, you think you would do that? You, you like Hampton that much? I I'd be more excited. I I just don't know who's doing better for Oladipo. How many teams would even want him when he's playing for a new contract? Could fit him in, and does he make sense in some sort of championship pursuit? Right, you go through the top five teams in each conference. The only teams that make sense for him in any way are Boston and uh, Denver, and I don't think Boston would want any part of Oladipo. So really, my, it's Den- Denver. My dream for Denver and I don't think there's any way this can happen, is 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 uh, Zach Levine. I think Zach Levine would look incredible in Whoa. Denver. Denver and Miami are like my dream, Zach Levine. Now, I don't... I actually think probably... Whoa. I think Chicago... I don't know what Chicago is going to do at the deadline. They have Levine and they have Markkinen headed into free agency. And if you don't want Lowry Markkinen, if my you don't guy. want to pay him, you should trade him. You should. But I don't know that they will. I know that Chicago will probably, my hunch is they will err on the side of being conservative and not doing anything. But if Levine were available, I think they could get a lot for him. I, I think right now they probably are just like, we're feeling good. He made the all-star team. We're trying to get into the play-in and the playoffs. I, I doubt he's going to be available. But I'll tell you this. I get a lot of teams asking me, do you think Levine will be available? Levine could change the whole trade deadline, blah, blah. I, I don't know the answer. My, my hunch is no, but I'm not 100% convinced of that. I can't believe you have a lot of teams asking. You don't even own an iPad. I don't own an so, iPad. My daughter when did you one. become? Um, here's the thing. I think Chicago should go the other way. I think the sixth seed is wide open in this playoffs. And I think, look, when you watch Chicago, look, I was a, I was a giant. I just did a double look on you. I was a giant Levine holdout. I, I thought he was a good stats, bad team guy. It took me a long time to come around. We talked about it when you came on my pod. When they're in these games and they have to go kind of toe-to-toe in a one-point game, there's not a lot of guys who are more skilled than him offensively. I hesitate to say that. I understand what I'm saying. But, you know, <laughs> you go you go team by team and it's like, all right, Zach Levine versus Devin Booker. Do I feel like I'm at a loss? Zach Levine versus Jason Tatum. Do I feel Ooh. like um, – no, I'm Whoa. just saying, all these dudes who are like the go-to guys, these other teams, it seems like he's as good as them when you watch the games. He can create his own shot. He can hit threes. He can hit threes with a hand in his face. He goes to the basket. I've been impressed. I'm worried about you. Uh, that makes he's me He's averaging like 29 a game. No, no, I'm just worried that Tatum... Well, Tatum was just brought into that conversation. I'm a little worried. But Celtics are, entered the break on a winning streak, Bill. You should feel a little better. I'm saying first half of the season, Tatum... I still think the COVID thing affected Tatum way more than I think came out. And I expect him to have a really good second half. 
And then I won't be putting Zach Levine in sentences with him anymore. Could, but yeah, uh, you way, go team by team. Zach Levine can hang with just about anybody. So, so I think that's a really good point about Chicago. We always have to. You always have to be careful with your brain. Like flip it the other way. So we've been all thinking all for two years now about Chicago and Levine and when do they sell? Should they sell on this guy? This guy. Sometimes you have to get your brain to go the other way, just as a thought exercise. Like why shouldn't they buy at the trade deadline? So can I give you two teams? that are my sneaky, not through any reporting, because I really haven't heard anything that interesting about them or that they're active, but two sneaky teams that when I do that thought exercise, it becomes kind of interesting. Do you want to hear them? Yes. Number one is Indiana. Indiana, super quiet, not a lot of noise. I don't hear anything about them. Here's what I know. They're 16 and 19, cratering before the All-Star break. Now, they'll get Levert back at some point, thank God. Uh, TJ Warren's also been injured. Like this isn't their team team. This isn't the real team. They but, lost thirty. They lost thirty five points a game when they yeah. lost those two guys. That is but, a real thing. But not going well right now. Two guys that are critical parts of their rotation, Doug McDermott and TJ McConnell, are free agents this summer. They already have like hundred and twenty million on the books between Levert, Warren, Turner, Sabonis, Brogdon, Holiday. It just feels like we've seen them sniff around trading Miles Turner before. I'm not suggesting they're going to do that again, but if I were if I were a team that needed a shooter, if I were Milwaukee, I would be calling them about Doug McDermott just to see because Doug McDermott's going to get paid this summer and I'm not sure like the Pacers are they're not going to go over into the luxury tax to retain these guys. Now they may not have to because they saved money potentially on the Levert Oladipo thing. So Pacers are my number one sneaky. Like if I were running the Pacers, I'd be holding, I'd be calling in both directions, selling, buying, whatever. And can I give you my second team or do you want to talk about the Pacers first? I just want to point out my dad is still furious that the Celtics don't have Miles Turner, Doug McDermott, and Enos Cantor. They'd be better with those guys. There's the no Cantor 21 rebound game sent my dad into a tailspin. My dad all last year was like, why won't Stevens play Cantor? He was going to die on that hill. He was the only person on it. But the fact that we still don't have anything to show for Hayward leaving, and it's like trade exception, they might get this guy, they might get that guy. And it's like, well, Turner and McDermott would have really helped. If they don't use the trade exception. It's a disaster. If they, if they don't use it, if, if it expires, I think. It, they, they're going to use it. I, they have to use it. Just they're optically, use it. they have to. And, they they, have and, they're, to. and, they, and they're being aggressive. They're looking around at all the names we've talked about, plus some others that we haven't. I you, think don't follow, uh, you don't follow other sports, but the Red Sox really took a shit on the Boston fans with the Mookie Betts trade and did a whole money-saving thing. And they're now the least popular team in Boston. This is a team that won four World Series with the, these owners. And now the fans are like, screw these guys. The Celtics ownership is very aware of how fast it can flip. They're going to use the exception. I just think if they don't, someone should make a banner. Like the Celtics have retired everybody's number already. <laughs> Re retire the trade exception. Put it in the Raptors. 2021 trade exception banner? <laughs> yeah. Just like have a birth date and a death date for the trade exception. Put it on the banner and hang it up somewhere. I would hang well, it in my office. When you were your early blogging days, they had the... Uh, what was it? They turned the LaFrance contract into the Theo Ratliff's expiring contract. Oh, my God. Don't even and get And that was in every those. trade for a year and a half. And then they actually pulled it off. They traded him. They got KG. It worked. Um, my other sneaky team, and I don't sense a lot of activity. I don't sense mm. a lot of activity. Yeah. But the Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, now you're talking. Dang, 17 million. 
are 16 and 16 despite like despite just lots of stuff. Okay, lots of bad stuff. Right, that goes back to our Utah conversation. Memphis is the flip side where everything's gone wrong for them and they're still 16 and 16. They have like 15 legitimate NBA players. They're they're the deepest team in the NBA. Now they 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 don't have as much top level talent. Well, I guess Morant and Jackson maybe they do. I mean, their middle guys are all just okay, but they're all good. And I keep finding myself, you know, last year they kind of tried to split the baby a little bit with that Crowder trade. Well, you know, we'll trade off of our team, help our future, and we're kind of betting that we're not the, the Crowder Iguodala trade that we're not going to hurt our current team so much. I think they could split the baby almost in the other direction, which is can we poke around ways to help our current team now without costing our future that much? Because they're good and they're interesting. They have so many guys. It's kind of like, why not look around and see if there's a guy? I just don't. I mean, we've named a lot of guys. They need shooting. They need to improve. The the Dylan Brooks spot is what they would need to improve. Well, they were my favorite is anyone going to try to bite on DeMar DeRozan just for fun team? Like who's got nothing to lose and might want DeMar DeRozan. I thought about Memphis. I don't think that's going to be in the cards. Uh, Let's put it that way. But I just thought about deals like that. Like if you could make just a low cost, why not? Like they're good and they're a really fun story actually. And they have Jeng's expiring contract and Jeng was shooting. He was leading the league in three point shooting at one point. Kevin Love. Kevin Love 2.0. No, Kevin Love. Literally Kevin Love. Oh. <laughs> well, that's what I'm talking about, though. Why Al not? Horford? Like, yeah, there's dudes out there. They, they, they're a sneaky Vucevic possibility if they wanted to get uh, our guy Jonas in there. Well, they'd have to give up a haul for Vucevic, though. Orlando yeah. is going to demand the world for Vucevic. Something happened with Memphis last week, and I know this because I have his rookie card and he's on my fantasy team. Ja came back from the ankle, but it was the classic, I'm back, but I'm a shell of myself. And last week was Ja again. And that, I think that is the second half subplot to watch. I could and not I'm, I could not love Ja Morant anymore. Oh, my God. It's, I, good. I, it's I, on. I am. So, but it's not only that he's good. It's the way that he's good. He's, yeah. good. he's going to be the next Damian Lillard where it's like he, his teammates love him. He's an incredible leader. He plays. He somehow can score 30 points, but you don't feel like he's ever selfish. He's willing to get off the... I, I just love everything about John Morant, except his it's defense, a, which can come along. Well, it's a little pre-2011 Derrick Rosey, right? Just a little bit. Maybe. I'm just saying, like, just something. something's brewing where you could see the ceiling of it is pretty high. So Kevin Love, that's interesting. I didn't come up with a good... Grizzlies because I think throwing the Grizz- names. I'm throwing high press names out of you. Kevin Love, DeRozan, Horford, Buddy Hield, Old Depot. See, I think it's gonna if they make a move, I bet it's less sexy than that. I just feel like they kind of like this sort of flying under the radar, not gonna really do anything to rock the boat. We're not gonna take from our future, our trove of future assets hardly at all. But I do feel like there's room there for them to sniff around. I just, by the way, I couldn't find a DeMar DeRozan trade. I just gave up. Denver? They were my second team, they, I, and that's the team that I can, I can, I can rationalize it. The Spurs I, can get something out of it, like a, again a Hampton or a Bull Bull. I think that makes a little bit of sense. He's been, by the way, he's been really, really good. It would not surprise me at all if the Spurs just decided we're okay bringing him back if we don't get something that we that we want. Also, the Spurs are eighteen and fourteen. At some point, it would be weird if they uh, just kind of started trading their best players, like. I, 
So out of that Portland, Dallas, Golden State, Memphis, San Antonio pack, those are teams six through ten, basically. Portland's 21 wins, Dallas 18, Golden State's 19, Memphis 16, San Antonio San Antonio's 18. Who's your favorite out of those five teams? Portland, Dallas, Golden State, Memphis, San Antonio. It's a great question. I am going to say Dallas. I was also going to say Dallas. I think they have the highest upside. Dallas is a team, per our discussion before, like the season from hell, the first month and a half, right? Everything goes wrong, including Luka's out of shape. Now it feels like they're I, – I think that, that Celtics game was the turning point for their season. By the way, I think Portland – now they're, they've been hurt by the fact that Zach Collins' trade value is a complete mystery slash maybe nothing. Rodney Hood's trade value may be nothing. But between Nasir Little, who's playing pretty well for them, and Simons, who's just won the dunk contest and has been playing decently since CJ McCollum got hurt, they can put some stuff together even though they're encumbered having traded a pick for Rocco. Um Two I picks. can see them sniffing around too. Um, I like I. They've been my favorite Aaron Gordon team forever. I don't. I don't know if they have the goods to get that done. But like, why wouldn't they sniff around Harrison Barnes or you know, even DeRozan? But then you come into the fact that like with Lillard, DeRozan, and McCollum, that just doesn't quite work. I, I tried hard to find a DeRozan team. Portland, the amount. Put it this way: If Portland was a movie, the amount of scenes Carmelo is would be alarming to the director and the producers. He's playing pretty well. Man. I know. Like, I'm just it, saying. Like at some point, you're like, "Wow!" So is Carmelo like one of our stars of this movie? I thought we just hired him to do a couple scenes. Well, there's another guy like that in the Eastern Conference that we'll get to. That we'll get to um, later. The other thing we should mention on the Grizz and the Spurs is they both have to play 40 games in the second half of the season. Oh my! Because God. of all the cancellations. The Spurs, I believe, had the easiest schedule in the entire league, or at least in the entire West. So they're about to get hammered in terms. Of, I think they've only played 13 road games the whole year. So they're about to get hammered with the schedule. Their point differential, as it is, they're 18 and 14, as you mentioned, but they're essentially dead even. So they're they're performing a little bit above their head. If there's a candidate to fall back a bit to quite a bit in the West, I think it actually might be San Antonio more than any of these other teams. Yeah, they're surprising 18 and 14. And it feels like a lot of those wins have been close. I've not I'm not looking this up. I have no idea. It just seems like they've they've had some good Spurs old school infrastructure and the game stuff happening. I agree. I think if I'm New Orleans and I'm looking at like what team could we catch That's if we got team. if we got it's our San crap Antonio. together at San Antonio. Because I, I we're on the same page on Memphis. I think Ja making the lead. So that's a good question for a second half question. I'm stealing your gimmick. Every year, right after the All-Star break, somebody makes a huge jump. So who is it? Because the candidates would be Ja, Tatum. Um, yeah, that's really it. There's not that yet. Yeah, Trey Young, many. maybe? Trey Young averaging 35 for a month? A leap back. A leap back to where he was. Um, Some crazy – I mean, Curry's an established guy, but somebody will come these next four weeks. Somebody will average like 35 a game. We'll be like, wow, it was Beal. Remember last year? How about Carl Towns? Oh, I don't know what to make of that team. Like Russell had the weird surgery and there's been a lot of, uh, I know what to make of it. Well, they stink. It's, it's not going great. Like no. they have that. They, they have lost the Wiggins Russell plus pick trade. Like, and they, they may end up losing it really, really badly. 
they went into the tax a little bit last year for some reason. How about this? Even... They might have lost the Wiggins Russell trade without the pick. Without the pick, which was which was completely foreseeable. Like it's not wild that that happened at all. Including the pick at that level made it a clear Warriors win. I said it at the time when everyone was exuberant about Russell and Towns coming together. Look, not me. Zoom not me. Out. This guy was not exuberant. Zoom out. And Minnesota's biggest problem as a franchise is that D'Angelo Russell just isn't as good as they thought. It is, he isn't as good as they projected. I'm not sure he's a top 15 starting point guard in the NBA right now, um, frankly. So it's worse than that, though. They make they sign Towns to a giant extension and then immediately get worried that he's not going to be happy there because the team's not doing well. And he's friends with Russell and they're both CAA guys. And that somehow leads to they're not going to have their first round pick in this draft unless it's. And, and by the three. way, it is a crazy trade. It was crazy when it happened. Can you imagine if Towns ever tries to get out of there? What a disaster it is when D'Angelo Russell is just left there, like looking around. Like, what's the look around clip? Who's the what's the what's the clip of the guy looking around? It's John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, right? They're looking around, yeah. nobody's there, um, and the pick is gone. And it would be way, like if James Harden tried to leave Houston. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. Um, I think if, if that ever happens, Towns is is a, is just an amazing bet to be like sort of whatever his version of Anthony Davis is where there were doubts about, well, why didn't the Pelicans ever make the playoffs? Like if Anthony Davis is so good, how come his teams are not good? Blah, blah, blah. And then Anthony Davis gets to a team with another great player. It's like, oh, yeah, this guy's amazing. He's one of the five best players in the NBA. That's that's that's. I, I think AD is better than Carl Towns. I've always thought that. But I think Towns, if like phase two of his career, whether it's in Minnesota or somewhere else, I think there will be like a couple of season stretch where we all say, holy, shit, this guy's incredible. Like we forgot kind of how good this guy was amid all the losing. And maybe it wasn't his fault that they lost all those games. I'm so glad Joe House isn't here. Because he hates Carl Towns? Doesn't hate him. But the difference between those two players is Davis had stretches most notably that stretch he had when he was with Boogie in 2018, where he was like one of the three best players there's in the no, league. There's no And he question. was like through the whole team on his back. We've never seen Towns do that. There's ever. no question. I'm just Towns saying, has been in the league now for six, seven years. I'm just saying I can see, look, I've always been an AD over Towns guy. Check the record, whatever. Um, I'm just saying I can see the media narrative playing out. Where it's like Carl Towns is a loser. He doesn't try hard on defense. He doesn't care about his team. He's a stats. He's a good stats, bad team guy. Oh, no one. Those you things know, aren't no. true. And then he gets then he gets moved somewhere else, or Minnesota gets another good player, and yeah. it's like, oh wow. And, and by the way, and Carl Towns starts to care about different stuff in the middle of his career, as happens to lots of players. And it's like, oh, actually, Carl Towns was awesome the whole time. I could just see that's the Carl Towns aside. Um, Can I give you the most fun Towns trade? Right now, I just thought of it. This is what I do. This is why I'm. I have a good Carl Towns trade that I'm not allowed to say publicly. But go ahead. What do you mean? I just, I just, I can't say. Because somebody fed it to you. Yeah, it's a fake trade. It's not a real thing anyway. But I just don't want to say it. There's a fun DeAndre Ayton Carl Towns. Let's figure this out trade. That's sitting there because if I'm Phoenix, and people are like Phoenix, could they win the West? And it's like. Well, it comes down to what what am I getting from Aiton in a playoff series? And if you just flipped him for Towns, I'm a lot more interested in the ceiling of that team. And there is some Booker Towns CAA stuff, right? You're just you're just making a face. Just um, making a face. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I, it's a, that, that's not the one that I'm not going to mention, but it's of that vein. 
Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. Stephen A's world. Streams weekdays on ESPN Plus, bringing fans Stephen A. Smith's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with signature guests. The best interviews from Stephen A.'s World are now available as a podcast every Wednesday. Listen wherever you get your podcasts and watch Stephen A.'s World on ESPN Plus. We have to go to the East. We just have to. Let's do it. Big question number whatever because we've gone off the rails and who cares. Bill Simmons, are the Nets the undisputed favorites to win the Eastern Conference? Undisputed. I don't think there's an undisputed favorite because the season's too weird for all the reasons we discussed. I cop think out. there's too it's many. Cop too, out. Cop no, out. I, I just think I, this is too weird of a season. I'm not ready to say anyone's a favorite. I think if I had to bet my life on a team to win the title from the East, it would be Brooklyn. And the, the fact that Bruce Brown is now the best player in the league, I think, is a huge advantage because it's the big three, but it, now it's really Bruce Brown and the big three. It's like Gladys Knight and the Pips. The other, the other guys are the pips. He's, it's Bruce Brown as Gladys Knight. If I were running the Nets, I would take all the big stars down from the marquee outside Barclays Center and just, <laughs> just have Bruce? a giant Bruce Brown face. <laughs> or know, I would have all the little – I would have a giant Bruce Brown face and then Harden, Durant, and Irving little heads looking plaintively up at Bruce Brown as if they were waiting for direction from their deity. That's what I yeah. would do. I'm not a hard guy to figure out with basketball opinions. I like – I like my teams to win. I gravitate toward players who contribute in winning ways. Bruce Brown is like everything I want from a fifth guy on a playoff team. He's an amalgam of all of these different guys who have been awesome in playoff series that were like, man, you know, I know they won because of those stars, but if Trevor Reza had made those shots, maybe the 2009 Lakers don't win. And maybe James Posey and, and, I just, it's just, he fell out of the sky for them, but he didn't because as you pointed out in previous podcasts, it was crazy that he was available and they just swooped in. Like it was a 80% off store or sale at some store that was going out of business and the Pistons should be ashamed. 
Didn't get it. Honestly, the Pistons should be ashamed. Look at so, the Mayor Pistons. So I'm going to answer my own question. Do I it. think that I think the Nets are undisputed favorites to win the East. Uh, I think they're the best team in the East on paper. I think when Durant gets back, we're going to say, whoa, this is, we got some problems. And yeah, defensively, do they have some questions to answer? Absolutely. Um, I just, we can talk about the teams that are below them in the East. I just don't feel right now, I don't feel just ultra confident in any of them. And now lots of things can change, including if the Sixers acquired Kyle Lowry, if that ever came to be, that's a game changer in the Eastern Conference. Uh, right now, they don't have Kyle Lowry, so I have to consider them as they are. And, and, and that touches mostly on Milwaukee, and we should talk about Milwaukee and the kind of weird season that they have, they've had. But I, I think the Nets are, are going to be incredible when they get everybody back. Uh, what did you think of Blake, by the way? Do you think Blake impacts their team at all? No. I don't. I think the answer is definitely closer to no than yes. I'm kind of shocked. To me, it was a litmus test of if you had league pass this year or not. Now, could he physically, was he not in the right whatever for the first part of the season? Is there some sort of physical, I don't know, growth, rejuvenation that could happen? The guy we watched on Detroit this year is not going to play for Brooklyn in a playoff series. He's just not. Hey, I said this to Rosillo last night. Are you really playing him over Jeff Green? You're not. Jeff Green's I, better at basketball. He just is. I think that's, I mean, that's the comparison because they want to play. Kevin Durant doesn't want to play center. And so they have one of Green or Jordan on the floor at all times. And yeah, Blake offers them from some versatility. Like he'll, he'll have moments as a small ball five. He'll have moments when they play him with DJ and at the four and the five, and they look okay together, but really it's about Jeff green and Jeff green. This season has been a better shooter and a better defender. Way better defender. Way better. And those now I think Blake is going to shoot really well in Brooklyn because he's going to go from taking these like off the dribble. It's either me taking this step back three or passing it to Sfima Hiluk. I'm taking the step back three at the end of the shot clock to like wide open, check the wind, easy threes. But what the the Nets don't need any more playmaking. People are like, oh, they can feed Blake in the post. Like that's a new ingredient. Like they don't need that. That's not. And by the way, he hasn't been efficient in the post this year. They don't need that. They need defense and three point shooting. And I think well, it's, what they really need is somebody else for the Embiid series. Like to me, that was so much more important to them than Blake Griffin, because their crunch time five is established. I actually like their bench guys. The Bruce Cla- Brown thing. Cla- Claxton has been really good Claxton's in, in a the real seven guy. or eight games he's played. He looks like yeah. a real rotation player. So to me, they're mostly set. Maybe you need one more shooter just for insurance. But I just want to know what happens in an Embiid series. Because well, so that, 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 that's my next question to you is who's the biggest threat to them in the East when you're not Philly. willing to declare? You think it's Philly over Milwaukee? So Philly, 100,000% Philly because Philly on the other end, Simmons can guard one of those guys. Tybalt can guard one of those guys. And... I don't know. They, then you just throw Tobias Harris and some help at Durant and hold and cross your fingers. But they have two guys that they can put Simmons on Harden, and Harden's not going to do whatever he wants against Simmons. I'm sorry, Simmons is the best defensive player in the league, and Thibault. Ooh. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah. Y- I mean, Utah. I don't think that I don't. Think Utah, that's come a at me, but that's Ben Simmons. I've watched Ben Simmons this year shut down Donovan Mitchell, Dame Lillard. And hold his own against LeBron James. Ben Simmons is the best defensive well, here's player. Well, here's the thing about Simmons is this was written about a lot when Kawhi was at his apex is you would see teams scheme away from Kawhi. Just mm. like if Kawhi's guarding our best wing, 
depending on who it is. Like some guys are so good, you have to involve them every possession, but we're going to park Kawhi's guy over there. You can't do that with Simmons because he's willing to guard anybody, including point guards. If, if, if Even if your point guard is six foot oh and super quick, Ben Simmons is like, if, it, if that's what it takes for me to be involved in every single possession, I'll guard that guy. He guards point guards all the time. You can't scheme him out of the action. He can be in the action on every single possession. I have... I have inducted him into uh, Mount Perimeter Rushmore with Pippen and Kawhi and Iguodala. And he's 6'10", which is the crazy piece. Can I just, can I just, here's a window. Here's, <laughs> oh no, I broke Zach's brain. No, here's a window into how sad my life is. There was yep. a there was a Heat Lakers game recently when the Heat wore the snow. I remember the Heat wore the snow cone, snow cone uniforms at, at, uh, at Staples. Yeah. And Iguodala was guarding LeBron. You know, I made friends somehow through the luck of this job with most of the men and women who write for The Good Place. And I wrote them an email during that game that if I got taken to The Real Good Place, one of the things at my house would be like a video wall of Iguodala guarding LeBron. That would just be, it would just be like a continuous Iguodala. That's how sad. That's how much I love Andre and how much I love that matchup. Uh, it's just so fun to watch. I don't even know what the hell we're talking about. Well, we're That's talking about saying, it's a little early for to to put him on that Mount Rushmore. That's all I'm saying. He's six ten. That's the difference. It's how fine. many got? How many six ten and up guys could could shut down Dave Lillard at the end of the games? I have breaking news. I have the Carl Towns trade. I'm so excited for this. Carl Towns and Jake Lehman for Dario Saric, Jalen Smith, Javon Carter. And DeAndre Ayton. It works on the trade machine. Call it into the league. The most exciting thing about that trade is that you involved Jake Lehman. Thank you. I needed I needed to get the contracts to work. I was a little short. So I did that during the pod. That's a fun one, though, right? That is very fun. I, I'm sorry, Minnesota fans. It's not even near there yet. So let's just make that clear. Let us have fun. This is what we do. Um, yeah, so I'm with you on Brooklyn, by the way. I, th- I think they're the best team. I would be very surprised if they didn't make it, but it's a weird season and they're playing a lot of games at a short period of time. And I don't, I'm just not ready to say anyone is 100% making the finals. So you mentioned the options that Philly has to throw at the Nets' big three. Yeah. Milwaukee has Giannis to guard Durant, Holiday to guard Irving or whoever, Middleton to guard Harden. Ugh. So why, <laughs> why are you not? So what is it about the Bucks who are second in the entire league in net rating with, I think, still the best offense in the league and a legit MVP candidate in Giannis. What is it about them that you don't trust? I'm never going to believe in them in the last five minutes of a game when it just becomes, you try to score, then I'll try to score. I just think they're at a disadvantage against against Brooklyn. And we saw it. We saw this early in the season when they played. And they were matching baskets. And then eventually Milwaukee was like, hey, Chris Middleton, what can you come up with? And now I'm picking Chris Middleton against Harden, Kyrie, and Durant. It's not happening. He's the only true, like, I'll create a shot here guy that Milwaukee has. And I know the Milwaukee fans get mad, but I'm sorry. I just don't trust Giannis in the last two minutes of a game. I don't. And Drew Holiday is a really good player. But if that's your guy going toe-to-toe against James Harden and Durant, like, no. It's not happening. So I just don't think they have the firepower. You like him better than Philly, though. Just the star power of Embiid and Simmons? I like Philly more than Milwaukee against Brooklyn because of the Embiid factor. Yeah, because Embiid is the best player in the league the first 
two and a half, three months of the season. And I don't think he'll be afraid of Brooklyn at all. And I, I really think they're going to have a hard time defending him. Ideally, if you're Brooklyn, you want to play Durant at the five. with the, You want to play the Bruce Brown-Harris with the three guys lineup. That's your crunch time closer. And then maybe some Jeff Green. But when Embiid's out there, that, that really that means you have to play Jordan unless they can do better at center. Here's the thing with Milwaukee. It feels, it feels strangely off, right? Like just what your gut feel right now when you watch the Bucs, and this has been the case for most of the season, is it's just something just doesn't feel right. And then you zoom out and you're like, well, of course something doesn't feel right. They made a conscious decision in the offseason. We're going to get more top heavy. We're going to trade a whole bunch of depth for Drew Holiday, a whole bunch of draft picks for Drew Holiday. And then Drew Holiday was out with the coronavirus during the plague for a long time and is still recovering from it. So, of course, they're going to look bad when they become a top-heavy team and one of the guys on the top is out. Now, a month, six weeks ago, some time ago, they made a clear decision, okay, we got to start trying to switch again. We are, for, we've got to start introducing switching into our defensive scheme mm. because everyone's been screaming at us for two years. We don't do it. we got to try to do it. And so now they're switching... Lots of stuff that doesn't actually need to be switched. Then they'll stop switching that same stuff for a while. Teams were very quick. Utah was the first team really to do this. Like, if we run them through two or three actions at, in, in, a, in a quick spin, quick cycle, they're going to switch, but they'll screw up the second switch. Then they won't switch the third switch. Again. So they're making a lot of mistakes that hopefully they'll iron out by the playoffs. I do think they will sniff around pretty aggressively to try to add a sixth or seventh guy somewhere. How about because, a fourth or fifth guy? Well, and so, and so I just uh, I look. I'll be honest. I don't like their four through twelve. I just don't. So here's so you mentioned Carmelo as the as the unexpected star of the movie that we're making. The Eastern Conference version of that is Pat Connaughton. There's just like a lot of Pat Connaughton happening. A lot. Pat, Pat's a fine player, but if if I believe that my closing five is Giannis at center, and it's unclear if they believe that or not, but if I do, or whatever my closing five is. Holiday as the third rock solid guy in that closing five, whereas last year I only had two. Two guys I could put in Magic Marker and put in Sharpie. Now I've got three. But if, if in Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis. But if I want to close with Giannis at center, and my best answer right now for spots four and five, my best answer is Dante DiVincenzo and Pat Connaughton. I just you can give me all the, ex not excuses, all the reasons for their sort of weird up and down instability, 50 point blowouts, puzzling losses, whatever. That nets out, by the way, to 22 and 14 and a really good point differential. We should say that. You can give me all that reasoning. And those two names, I'm just like, I don't, I don't quite sure. Now, maybe that I think there are people inside that organization that would say, well, what about Bobby Portis? Can we put Bobby Portis in for Pat Connaughton? I, 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 you know, it still scares me. I still think they need another, like, I'm still a little nervous uh, about that. So, it's well, and just, also, what, what happened to Brooke Lopez? Like, could be Brooke he, Lopez, too. I don't know. No, but what, what happened to him, though? Well, he's, he's three point shooting is, is you know he had one really good year and he had an out he had an outlier year and since then he, they haven't gone in and he's also completely lost the ability to post up when this guy six seven years ago was a guy you could go to at the end of games and he could go muscle in and get a basket like he played a lot more like a Valanciunas type guy and I don't know they just sapped that out of his body and now he's this stretch five who can't make threes. 
So here's the I, d- point I don't trust I- Portis. I don't trust DiVincenzo. Bryn Forbes, DJ Augustine have never trusted. Bryn Forbes like- is a, Bryn Forbes is a good name because I think, but but defensively he's just going to get targeted. Yeah, they're going to hunt him time. in Game Seven of a playoff series. They're going to hunt hunt him. I don't but, see it. So here's the point. I think Milwaukee is going to we're going to feel better about Milwaukee in two months than we do today. I think Holiday getting healthy and getting back involved and them stabilizing a little bit on defense and figuring some stuff out. I think we're going to feel better about them than we do today to, to, the, to the point that I think this is true. If Philly doesn't make a big move, I think I kind of put Milwaukee a little bit closer to Brooklyn than I would Philly. Because Philly, to me, suffers from the same thing where it's like, who am I counting on in crunch time to create offense other than Embiid? And maybe the answer is just, Embiid is so incredible that he's answered that question. But if the answer is Tobias Harris and Seth Curry, I feel kind of the same way as I just described about Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee is really, really good. And if they stabilize a little bit, and I think there are reasons to believe that they will, I think we're going to feel better about them in two months than we do now. I still think Brooklyn, though, just on sheer talent, is... I mean, I'm, I might be. Time may prove us wrong about this. I think they're just a clear favorite. I think they're the clear favorite in the East. I agree. And you left out with Philly. I still like Philly's team more than Milwaukee, but Philly and Miami. has the Miami is going to go on a run too. Philly has the Embiid piece where he played thirty or thirty six games in the first half. Can he play? I don't know thirty two of the next thirty six, and then make it through all four playoff rounds. I wouldn't bet my life on it. You know, whereas like Milwaukee, Giannis is Giannis. Like that guy's, he's playing every game. Our difference maker of the week is brought to you by our friends at CarMax. Don't just buy a car. Love your car with the new CarMax. Love your car guarantee. This week's difference maker is Joel Embiid, the maybe, maybe, probably MVP of the first half of the NBA season, and specifically his commitment to the little things. Look, we all know the shot blocking, the rim protection, the crazy scoring, the mid-range jumper. But when I watch Joel Embiid, I see more diligent box outs, finding guys to box out. If his guy's not around, I'm taking somebody else out. More extra passes, more Draymond Green style reads where he's like, you're not guarding me. I'm going to pitch it to Tobias Harris and set a pick for him. And I'm going to get him some daylight. More use of his arms. His arms are obviously giant. He's getting in arms and passing lanes, raising them up out to his sides, getting deflections. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, maybe it doesn't show up on the stat sheet traditionally at least, but it helps you win games. And aside from all the big stuff, which is still the big stuff, he's doing more of the little stuff. And that's why he's in the MVP conversation for probably the first time in his NBA career. So that's our Difference Maker of the Week. Again, our thanks to CarMax. For more Difference Makers, check out my weekly 10 Things column on the ESPN Insider page. Can I ask you one more big question that I'm very excited to ask you before we go? Yeah. Bill Simmons, last big question for the second half of the season. Yep. Do you trust the Los Angeles Clippers? No. <laughs> I was so excited. To, so why not? Okay, let me I, just look, don't, I just don't like their team. I well, think that's that, blunt. I, no, I, I, I don't like the makeup of their team. I don't like the players together. You know, like, for instance, like one of the problems with the Celtics this year, it goes a lot deeper than just Tatum got COVID and then Smart got hurt and all this. Their guys don't really create shots for each other, you know? And like even Kemba, if he can ever get back to where he is and and start blowing by people again, 
at least now he's in the paint. He's slashing, kicking. The alarming thing about the Marcus Smart in- injury, who's the most polarizing Celtic of the last 10 years, is that we were always frustrated by him as an offensive player. Meanwhile, they really needed his offense because at least he can create for other guys a little bit. He's the best passer on the team. I look at this Clippers team, and who who's making somebody else better on that team? It's a bunch of... It's a bunch of cars parked in the same parking lot, but they're just kind of in their own spaces. And that's the part I really thought they needed to make a trade. I don't think they can go in another playoffs with Lou Williams because I just think we've the verdict has come in on him as a playoff player. He's a terrible playoff player for whatever reason. And I don't think Beverly has nearly enough offense. Marcus Morris, ball stopper. I don't trust Zubats. Um, I don't trust Nick Batum at all. What? Just wait till... Down 3-2 in a series. Game six, a minute left, down two. He's wide open in the corner. That thing's sitting on the side of the backboard. Or he, or he won't shoot. Or he won't shoot at all. I just don't trust him. You go down the line, it's like, this team's going to go to war for four straight rounds? I don't see it. Not to mention, George is all over the place. There was a story with George the other day. He had skipped the game because of dizziness because he had too much coffee. Like This is like that happens to my son. Your I son just, drinks coffee? Well, no, just like my son. My, I can't. I can't do my Zoom class today. I had too much Coke. Like, Paul George is a 28-year-old man. He had too much coffee? So, I don't know. I just don't trust it. I don't think they're particularly well-coached either. I haven't been impressed watching them. And and I just, to me, that is, if you had to say, who is your, who's your number one pick for a first-round upset loss that would be, make everybody go nuts, it would be the Clippers. So, they are the single biggest mystery in the league to me in the last 35 games because much has been made about how, Oh, the Clippers look different this year. There's no, they don't better chemistry and there's more ball movement and there's blah, blah, blah. And to me, they do not look different at all. Well, no, they look just a little different only because of how Ibaka has changed the geometry of their team. Just a, a five out center is a big deal for them, but the passing numbers, assist rate, total passes, hockey assists, you name it. Total isolations per game, whatever. Stylistically, they are the same. There's a few more set plays here and there. They've tried to make the Kawhi PG two-man game a thing. It hasn't taken, much like Fetch has never taken. Um, it, it, it looks the same to me. And yet, and all the concerns you just mentioned, fine. Got them. And yet, with Kawhi and Paul George on the floor, they're plus 17 per 100 possessions. Their starting lineup is plus 17 per 100 possessions. Now, I can see it in your eyes. You want to bring up how bad they've been in crunch time because we all have Clippers PTSD from what happened to them in the playoffs last year. And they are 7-11 and in games that have been within five points in the last five minutes, even worse than that in games that have been within three points in the last three minutes. They have a bottom five offense and a bottom, a bottom one defense, actually, in those games. And it makes you wonder, well, there must be something just intrinsically wrong with this group of players when it really matters. Uh, They were the best team in crunch time before the playoffs last year. You can say that doesn't matter, that only the playoffs matter. But in crunch time last regular season, they were good. Here's just my cautionary tale for everyone waiting to bury the Clippers under these crunch time numbers. It's 45 minutes, 45 minutes of total, total play in the last five minutes of close games. Paul George has only played 25 of those minutes. 
Kawhi Leonard has missed a few of them. They've overlapped for precious few of those bad crunch time minutes. And you can watch them and you see all the stuff that makes you worry about the Clippers. They're too slow. They're too ISO heavy. Why did that possession end with Patrick Beverly dribbling around and launching a three when there was eight seconds on the shot clock when he got the ball? Um, whoa, it's a little alarming that they're still going offense-defense with Lou Williams, even though they sort of tried to graduate out of that by getting Luke Kennard and some other stuff. Um, I get all of that. I just think how little PG and Kawhi have played in, in those crunch time minutes sort of takes all the teeth out of it. But you watch them. They look the same as last year stylistically. We know what happened to them last year. I picked them to win the title last year. On paper right now, they look like a title contender. I've sort of thrown up my hands. They're the biggest mystery in the league to me. You just start, a, you're, out, you're out. You're just out. I just they're, they're not as mysterious to me. They're big moves. You know, they had a chance to make the team better, right? And I'm, I agree with you. I like Ibaka a little bit more than Harold, though. I do think Harold's energy on certain nights was important to them last year. Whatever. Um, the, they basically they went on, all in on Marcus Morris and all in on Kennard, who I guess has been a complete failure or just a failure so far for them? He's, They're paying he, him $16 million a year, and you watch certain Clipper games and he'll play like four minutes. Well, he's just flat out of the rotation until the last game before the All-Star break where he had a good game. And he's, it's been so long since he had a good game that one good game inspired like 50 Luke Kennard is he turning the corner columns on the interwebs. It's tough. And they don't really have a lot of moves either. And, and it's kind of shocking how much Nick Batum has played, who was probably the worst part in the league last year. He's playing 30 minutes a game for them. I don't trust him at the end of games. I don't. I, when Marcus Morris is out there, part of the problem with Marcus Morris at the end of games is he's going to think he should take the most important shot of the game. And then Nick, Beverly, I, you know, Beverly, I, the, he's one of those, the stats look great. But when I'm actually watching the game, I don't feel like he's going to be helpful in the last three minutes. I just don't. I don't think he can create a shot for anybody. His three, his open three-pointer might go in, but I don't know. I just don't see it. I think the rest of the league got better, and they stayed the same. Um, Nick Batum leads the Clippers in crunch time minutes played. He's played almost every single crunch time second that they've been on the floor. The other thing is they're toward they're almost <laughs> that's, that's crazy. They're almost 30th in getting to the rim and, and free throw rate, which to me is a red flag of can this team generate easy points when, when it has to. That's a little bit of a worry. Interestingly, you know, Ty Lue has been more willing than Doc was to play Marcus Morris at center, which is a lineup that a lot of us were salivating over in theory last year. They did it against Utah. That was fun. And the numbers say, actually the numbers say it's been, it's been great on offense and awful on defense this year. They're a slight negative. I just, I th this may this take may really come back to haunt me. I don't like the way it looks. I I think they need a presence that's going north south, and the way that they get that is Ibaka and Zubats rolling to the rim. And when they play Morris at center again, the offensive numbers look amazing. I just see five guys just kind of passing the ball around the perimeter, looking to get switches. I don't see enough north south stuff, and I miss it. I miss the look of it when it, I don't see Ibaka and Zubats rolling down towards the basket. And so I don't know that that's a panacea. That that was viewed last year, including by me, as like this could be their trump card. Remember if they play Houston, who wasn't playing any big men, well, they've got this trump card in their back pocket. I kind of don't like the way it looks when they use it, even though the numbers kind of say otherwise. Reggie Jackson and Nick Batum are averaging 50 minutes a game combined. 
I rest my case. So the, we haven't talked about the Lakers at all. Are you just are the Lakers still the favorites to win the championship? They're fine. They, they yeah. only, the only conversation to have with them is just how close last season was to this season and what or what is going to be the effects of how much basketball that was for them in Miami. And we didn't talk about Miami either, but you know Miami is just kind of recovering physically from those four playoff rounds in the bubble. And um, and I think the Lakers. I was stunned that LeBron played as many games as he played. I don't really understand it, why he would go 36 of the first 36, and they finally rested him, but there's a lot of basketball left, and it's condensed. You know, that's the other thing. So He's got it. He wants the MVP. I don't think there's any secret about that. It's not happening. He needs Embiid to get hurt. I think there's a perfect storm of events where it happens. Not if Embiid's going to do in the second half what he did in the first half. It's, the, a, sentiment it's a is for, the sentiment is pro-LeBron. Yeah, because he, he has the mafia behind him, the media mafia. You know how this is going to play out. Well, and it's also, I think it's legitimate that, we, you know, the playoffs last year were kind of like, okay, oh, oh yeah, this guy's still by far the best player. Yeah, but how many times are we going to litigate this? It's a regular yeah, season award. We just have to stop having this argument. If, I if think people want us to just vote for the best player every year, then create a different award for that. This award is who's the most valuable in the regular season. Right now it's Embiid. Now, LeBron could go nuts in the second half and steal it back. He's in striking range, but I think Jokic is in striking range too. Well, that's that's the – if Denver goes on the kind of run that I think they have in them, Jokic is going to ascend even closer to the top of this conversation than he already is. And one more guy. Don't throw Luka. up. Luka? I think I think Giannis has to be considered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he's going to average 30, 12, and 6 again, and they're a one seed, like we, we can't not have the Giannis conversation. This is the weirdest MVP vote ever because if he averages that and the Bucks are the number one seed, and, on and people paper, are like, we, we just don't want to vote for him again. We're not I, doing I, it. I don't. Will you vote for him? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what's going to so happen. Weird. Like the postseason is hovering over this MVP discussion in a way that I can't really remember before. I'll tell you this: Joel Embiid was the best player I watched this season through the first half. I thought he was the most valuable to his team. I thought he was the most impactful. Um, I thought he reached heights in certain games that was as good as anything I've seen recently. And. He was the MVP, and I don't really feel like it's an argument, to be honest. I think there's an argument. I, I said I would pick him by a little bit if the season ends today, which, by the way, it doesn't. No, uh, it's, we're halfway through. I will say, though, Jokic. He's lurking. Anytime Jokic gets the ball, they get a good shot. It's just it's unbelievable. He's just a walking good shot, whether it's him shooting or somebody else shooting. If they just give him a touch, they won't make them all. They might have a turnover, but if they get a shot, it's going to be a good shot. It's it's just it, and there are nights where it looks so easy. You just give your the audience ball. is your audience aware of his stats? He's averaging 27, 11, and nine. He's shooting 57%. He is one free throw percentage point away from being in the 55, 40, 90 club. He's 57, 42, 89. Uh He's taking almost four threes a game. His PR is 32.1, which is like we went up until five years ago. If you were over 30 PR, you were basically like Will Chamberlain or what's Michael he shooting Jordan on? What's he LeBron? shooting on twos? I, d I don't have that. Uh, I think it's in the 60s. But like he's it's not insane that he could be a 60, 40, 90 guy. He could get hot second half of the season. Like, I don't know. I, I just feel like 61 percent on twos. Wow. 
And he's also, when we just talk about valuable, the whole team revolves around him and his skills, his skill set, how he clicks with his teammates. So I would have him third. I would have Embiid, then LeBron, then, then Jokic. See, and Giannis. I, I get that there's a gap between Embiid and Jokic on defense that is probably sizable. I think there's a gap between Jokic and Embiid on offense that is not quite as sizable, but I think he's just, as an offensive player, I think, is, is he, I just want to think before I say this, because it might, it might be Luka. Who's the, if you just posit that LeBron is the best offensive player in the NBA, who's the second best offensive player in the NBA? Curry? Harden? Jokic? He's in that conversation now with Curry and Harden and Luka. I, and Dame. I don't think... I don't think LeBron is necessarily the best offensive player in the NBA. I don't think I'm just with, saying if you posit that. I think Harden, LeBron, and and uh Jokic it's in some order. Jokic is in that conversation. Harden yeah. has just been and we didn't even mention Durant, which is sacrilegious, but Harden has been Well and then you have Luca and charts. Durant, right? Tiny bit underneath them. The Luca thing, it just he started hitting threes the last couple of weeks, so that changed a little Luka's bit. Luca's incredible. This worrying about Luca's three point percentage is ridiculous. Like Luca's incredible. Absolutely. I gotta incredible. say, the the Harden piece that has shocked me is just how good he's how he kind of tweaked his game to fit in with that team. And they're getting the best version of him. But he put real thought into it, right? And the version we've seen of him in this Brooklyn team is a little different than any version of Harden we've seen before. And that's what made me think, like, I actually think it's kind of insulting to him to say LeBron is a better offensive player than yeah. him because well, Harden, just as an offensive player, there's nobody better than him right now. Well, Daryl Morey will definitely text us yeah. for, ha- for daring to even question whether James Harden is the best offensive player. Oh, well, maybe he won't now that he runs the other another team. But, um, uh, yeah, Harden's incredible. And it makes it – he had a quote last week where he was talking about – I think it was – maybe someone said it on a Nets broadcast or something about how excited he was to throw lobs to DeAndre Jordan again and how he missed doing that. I'm like, dude, you played with Clint Capella in Houston – almost until the end you just decided you didn't want to play that way anymore it's right. so weird yeah he's i i'll never like what he did but he's really he's special incredible. player to watch and incredible. we'll see we'll see he might be on the perfect team because the last three minutes of these playoff games he can just go hide in the corner and let other people win the game honestly it might be the perfect mix yeah. of personality just forget the basketball stuff because he he's got other guys to take the big shot which has been the weak point in his dossier for a while. Yeah. And he's just sort of like, I don't know Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at all, but there's certainly been a lot of noise around them for years and years now. And James is kind of like, can we just roll the ball out and play? Like, we just like, let's just, let's just roll out. Let's roll out. Yeah, we'll win. It'll be great. We'll just, like, maybe he's, maybe he's the perfect personality to mix with those two guys. Cause he's just like, let's just roll it out and play. Well, and then the Kyrie piece of, he could just kind of float in and out of the game at his leisure and whenever he wants, just take it over for three minutes at a time. That's kind of what he's nobody's ever been better at that. I Where think they're the like, undisputed favorites in the East. I agree with you. In especially because the they have the best player in the league, Bryce Brown. Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown. All right, Mr. Simmons, thank you as always for your time. Those have been the X big questions for the second half of the season. Let's just hope we get through it uh safe and healthy. Uh, and I hope to see you in Los Angeles someday, not not too far from now. It was great to see you as always. Take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.